BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Uh, sorry, I've lost my voice, but I just want you to know that things are really tough here. And um, I, I don't have any way to provide for my kiddos. And things are, things are hard. And uh, I need your support now more than I need it ever right now. Uh, we just need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. We need to get out of here quick. Welcome to the consular section at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, Iraq. If you are calling about an emergency such as death, serious injury, abduction, or imminent threat to safety related to a U.S. citizen, please dial 4100. Hi, um, I'm calling uh, because basically my sister is in Syria and she just had a baby and she's in the middle of a war zone and I don't know what to do. Um, obviously there's no embassy in Syria. Some and her kids may have escaped ISIS, but they're still in Syria. They're being held in a camp with thousands of women and children who are in the so-called caliphate. Sam's sister Laurie has been calling everyone she can to try and find a way to get the family home, including the US embassy in Iraq. My sister is an American citizen. She is in the middle of a war zone in Syria. So I, we need to get her out of there. After a moment of silence, the man at the other end of the phone asks, What's your question, ma'am? She can't leave. That's the problem. She's being held. Do you have any advice you can give to me? Who can I call? What can I do? He asks Laurie to email the embassy. Yeah, I've done that. While Laurie's still making frantic calls, I'm in England preparing for my best mate's wedding. And that's when I get the call telling me the US government wants to arrest Sam for lying to an FBI agent. But then my phone buzzes again. This time, it's a message in an encrypted app. It's from someone who's working in Syria, whose identity I need to protect. It says Sam and the kids have been taken to a clinic for a health check because they need to be fit to travel. Days later, I'm told they're picked up by American special forces and flown out of Syria. On the 24th of July, 2018, a military transport plane lands in Indiana. After more than two and a half years with ISIS, more than eight months in Kurdish detention, suddenly, Sam, Matthew, and his younger siblings are back in America, just like that. The children are taken into the care of Child Protective Services. Sam is arrested and driven to jail. I'm Josh Baker, and from BBC Panorama and Frontline PBS, this is I'm Not a Monster. Episode 7 on American Soil. I've sent her a message saying, hey, it's Josh, I'm here looking forward to talking to you. 
or will it just start? Question mark. It's August 2018, five months since I interviewed Sam in Syria. Definitely recording? Yep. Great, and I'm going to hit record here. Five seconds. I'm staring at my laptop, waiting for a video call to start. Hello. Hold on. I can hear you. I'm just trying to see if I can see you. Where are you? Sam appears on my screen. She's wearing a red jumpsuit. Standard issue at Porter County Jail. How are you? Oh, I'm okay considering. Um, constantly worried about my kiddos. You know, but that, I guess it's to be expected. Yeah? Yeah. What's... It's not too bad here. Just happy to be on American soil. <laughs> I was going to say, what's it like to be back in America? Well, I don't know yet. I'm still behind bars. <laughs> And have you been told anything about when you might be tried or anything like that? Um, no, not really. Um, I, I can't talk about it a whole lot, but, yeah. If I'd been asked to come up with all the possible crimes that Sam could have wound up in jail for, lying to an FBI agent wouldn't have made the list. It seems Sam had a relationship with the FBI that had nothing to do with her time in Syria but centred around her husband Moose's family's business in America. Via Address was a direct response to the emerging needs of today's online worldwide shoppers. With Via Address, consumers worldwide can establish a US-based address for package forwarding. It's a shipping company known as Via Address, or Viabox, that sends packages all over the world. Simply click on the Join Now button, complete the required fields, completely hassle-free. The FBI was a frequent visitor, and there was a local police detective that would come in. Sam's friend Andrea worked in the warehouse. I recall Homeland Security at one point came in. It was kind of like a scene out of a movie, to be honest. It was a whole bunch of people pulling up in dark sedans, getting out in black suits, and they just came barging into the warehouse and asking for management. Another good friend of Sam's, Cassie, worked there too. Oh, we've had government agents coming in since I started in 2011. What agencies? Uh, we had Homeland Security come in. Uh, we had FBI come in. We've had uh, local detectives come in. I spoke to one local police officer involved who asked not to be identified. The officer told me that dealing with the business consumed a lot of their time as customers regularly tried to ship items bought on stolen credit cards. What about the FBI? What would they do when they came to the warehouse? Well, Sam was working with the FBI um, as an informant. What, what do you mean? She would meet up with a couple FBI agents every few months, maybe, about things that are being shipped out of the warehouse. So somebody told me that you were an FBI informant while you were with Firebox. Is that true? It's true. So you were an FBI informant? Right. And what were you doing? Um, I'm not sure how much I can go into that, but I'll give you the basics. Um, basically, the FBI would contact me with a name and a country, and so I would give them information on what they were shipping back and forth. I would give them uh, serial numbers on cell phones, uh, take pictures of things for them to see it, anything that they wanted, anything. So they were monitoring, what, electronic devices that you guys were shipping? 
only that, but um, anything that would seem suspicious, uh, military gear, uh, something as simple as brass knuckles, um, money counting machines, anything that would seem suspicious that would have anything to do with uh, military terrorism, anything like this. So they would contact you and ask you to look at the device or the package that was being shipped? Right. And what would they ask you to do? Um, I had to put together these reports uh, with their name, uh, IP addresses, from where they were uh, making these payments, uh, how much were the payments, how often what was the account under the payment name. I had to put all of this together in reports and then meet up with them at their request. Where did they meet you? Um, I, don't, I really don't know how much I can say. So, the woman who travelled halfway across the world to Syria and lived in the Islamic State group's caliphate says that before she left the US, she was helping the FBI tackle terrorism for more than two years. When I ask the FBI about this, it won't comment. But in court documents, the prosecution says Sam's role had nothing to do with terrorism. They do confirm, though, that she was a confidential human source an informant. The papers reveal that Sam spoke to the FBI just days before she and her family left the US in March 2015. And that's when she's accused of telling the lie that led to her being put in jail. The full story about what she was doing doesn't appear in the court documents, though, because it's classified. I want to piece together what else was going on in Sam's life before she left. And I'm still trying to figure out how much of what she told me in Syria is true. I call Jason al-Hassani, another one of Musa's brothers. He still lives in the States. And Jason is easy to find because he's Laurie's ex-husband. As strange as it may sound, the two sisters were married to two brothers, Sam to Musa, Laurie to Jason. Persuading Jason to meet isn't so easy. And when he does finally agree, he insists on no recording equipment and no phones. We talk off the record and he says he'll think about an interview. As he stands up to go, a weird noise comes out of his pocket and then a worried look appears on his face. He's accidentally hit play on a recorder hidden inside his jeans. He's been taping me and I don't know why, And before I can ask, he leaves. So obviously, you'll uh, you'll sit here. And did you want to set up your video camera? Yes, please. A few days after the meeting, Jason agrees to an interview. I book a meeting room at a hotel. And this time, he arrives with a camera and a microphone. Um, okay. Are you going to record sound as well? Um, yes. That's fine. I don't mind. Can I just ask, what, what has made you want to record everything? Um, well, because you're recording me, so I'm recording you. So Totally fair. fine. <laughs> I don't mind. If it makes you feel more comfortable, you record away. Okay. Um, when do you think Musa and Abdul Hadi became interested in ISIS? I believe in um, the summer of 2014, I believe. 
because my uh, brother Del came uh, from Minnesota and stayed with my brother Musa. Del is what Jason calls Abdul Hadi, another one of his brothers, who travelled to Syria with Sam and her family. He brought some videos with him that they were watching. I would visit them and watch with them, and then I go and then, so they had more time together um, by themselves and. What kind of videos were these? It was uh, some ISIS propaganda videos. What sort of things would go on in the videos? Um, I mean, uh, typical preaching, ISIS propaganda preaching, and uh, um, sometimes uh, violence, some violence in the videos. Were these videos ever depicting executions? Yes, they were. So in 2014, your brothers were watching... ISIS execution videos at home in America? Uh, sometimes I, when I visit, sometimes they show me some videos, yes. For me personally, I mean, I was against the killing and... And did Musa agree with that? No, he was on, uh, on the sideline at the time. Um, eventually, uh, he started uh, agreeing more and more with, uh, with my brother, though. Abdul Hadi is a supporter of ISIS, it would appear, at that point. Is that yeah. fair? Yes. So Abdul Hadi is supporting ISIS in 2014. He's trying to convince Musa mm-hmm. to join ISIS. Did you report them to the authorities? Mm, no. Why not? I didn't think. I didn't know they at the time. But you're, you just told me that your brother was supporting a group that was cutting people's heads off, has committed things like rape, mass killing... And you knew that at that point your brother was part of that or wanted to be part of that? I didn't think anything of it. I had no idea that they were planning on joining them at all. And uh, it was just some videos and uh, my brother, Delta, you know, he, he was basically just arguing with my brother, uh, Musa, and, I, you know, tell him that I'm against the idea at the time, and I would just leave, and they continue to watch more videos. And Did you have any idea that they were going to join ISIS? No, I did not. I mean, you must have known. You're their brother. You spent a lot of time with them. You, you really didn't know. Do you see why a lot of people might find that hard to believe, though? Which people? Well, the public might find that hard to believe. Are you the public? I'm a journalist. Uh, Is that your... It's your camera, isn't it? Um, Yeah, it's running out of battery. Oh, okay. So, according to Jason, the summer of 2014 was when Musa started to be radicalised, indoctrinated by his brother Abdul Hadi into ISIS's way of thinking. They tried to keep everything uh, under uh, low profile. They were very... becoming very paranoid. What do you mean by that? Um, I'm paranoid because uh, my brother Dell he was learning how to encrypt his messages and use a Tor browser, and he taught my brother Musa how to do it. Were you not suspicious, given that you knew that they had been watching ISIS propaganda, given that you knew that they were encrypting files and using secure web browsers? Were you not suspicious? Mm. I had suspicions, not going to lie, but when my brother Musa left, he left with his kids, so I had no idea. I couldn't imagine he would have taken them there. It was unimaginable what they, what they did. 
What do you think drew Musa and Abdul Hadi to Islamic State? To this day, we all in our family ask why, why they left. Maybe they were promised some amount of money, uh, or maybe they're promised with heaven. I, to be honest, I, I don't know what really drove them to go there. Why do you think Sam wanted to go there? I, I don't know. Did she want to go there? I, to be honest, I don't know. When she left, do you think she knew she was going to ISIS? No, I don't think so. With Sam in jail, I can call her almost any time I have a question. Look, we've been told quite clearly that Musa Abdul Hadi and Jason were watching ISIS videos in your house. Did you know that was happening? No, but it's possible. I mean, when they did their thing, most of the time I wasn't around. Um, I didn't really hang out with them. You know, if I was serving dinner or something, that I would have been there. But if they were all there in the house, I probably would have left. I probably would have gone shopping or something. Because it... It, it would seem odd. I think a lot of people will find it hard to believe that they were watching videos in your house and you didn't know. Well, I mean, when you have three brothers together and I'm the only woman, I wouldn't have stuck around. There's no way of knowing for sure if Sam knew what the brothers were watching. But she doesn't really give me a straight answer. Why not just say, no, I had no idea? There's a friend of Sam's in Indiana, who I hope will talk to me. Hi there. I wonder if you can help me. My name is uh, Josh. I'm looking for somebody called Jenny. Hello. This is going to be very, very strange for you. So I'm from the BBC and PBS Frontline. Jenny also worked with Sam at the shipping company. They became friends and ended up spending a lot of time together. She reminds me of Sam a little. Confident, engaging. And um, uh, the reason I wanted to try and find you is it's about Samantha El-Hassani. Um, and I was wondering if uh, I might just be able to have a chat with you and explain like who I am and, and what's going on, basically. Are you sure? Um, so basically, in 2017, around about February 2017, I found out that Sam and the kids were in Syria. And I, came I give Jenny a condensed version of my search for Sam and everything that's happened. Um, all I had known in the beginning was that, I mean, they were taking trips. Um, and then I just remember... They were selling the cars. Um, I drive by the house one day. The house is up for sale. I, I didn't have a clue. Um, and the FBI came to my house asking me questions. When um, was that? A long, old time. Yeah, yeah. This was, like, before I had known anything. Um, and I just remember, like, I was trying to be really helpful because I didn't know if she was okay. And I was never meaning to, like, out anything or... I don't know. Um, 
Jenny says she told the FBI about a trip she and another friend took with Sam. Because she had gotten me, like, these uh, facial packages in Chicago, and it was like a four-part thing, and it was like the second time we had went. Oh, so you guys were going over for, like, spa treatments? Yeah, oh, that's yeah, cool. yeah. And we stopped at this little coffee shop, and she confided in us that Musa was wanting to go... I think she said, like, join the Holy War or something like that. What did she yeah, say exactly? She, uh, we were just all, like, talking about, you know, how the family's doing, how we're all doing, you know, whatever. And um, she was like, you know, I just... You know, Moose has been telling me that he's he feels like Allah's calling him. And <laughs> of all the moments to unwrap a parcel, Jenny's boyfriend has picked this one. Um, so what you're saying is, is that you and Sam went to Chicago for like a spa day, spa treatment, uh-huh. and she confided in you that Musa wanted to join ISIS. Right. Did she seem like she was up for that, or was she against it? I think it just—it just was like a crazy idea that he had said or something. Like she was just like, "He's so crazy!" Like he wants to do this. Yeah. Right. You know, and here's this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl with freaking tattoos on her neck, like going to Syria. Like, come on. Um, she had to have known, like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm so torn with it. I'm just so torn with it. I don't know. I've I've thought like maybe she felt like she had to for the kids. Um, I, I've seen like a, a really manipulative side of Sam. Right. Um, that just kind of she'll do and say whatever she needs to to get her way, basically. Weeks after Sam is brought back to America, the US government brings new charges against her. It's not uncommon for what Sam was first charged with, making false statements to an FBI agent, to be used as a kind of holding charge, essentially a way to keep someone in jail while a stronger case is built against them. Now, Sam is accused of providing material support for terrorism, helping to transport cash and gold and tactical gear to ISIS. They also say she was part of a conspiracy to help her husband and brother-in-law join the group. Sam! Oh, hello there, how are you? So I'll just tell you now, we're, we're obviously recording, um, so you're aware, and then I'm going to interview you, and you're happy with that, yeah, just to check? Yeah, yeah, I'm OK. Did you provide material support for terrorism? No, I don't believe I did. Did you provide funding for terrorism? Absolutely not. Did you provide tactical gear? No, absolutely not. Did you support Musa and Abdul Hadi to join ISIS? Not to support them, no. What do you mean by that? Uh, not to, I'm, I'm not to, I didn't support them to join them, no. Did I support my husband on his stupid ventures? Yes. But had I known what he was doing, I would not have supported it. So what What did you support Musa in doing? Trying to get his life cleaned up. Trying to get closer with his parents. Trying to make our relationship better. In, in going to Morocco. Morocco. Since the first time we spoke in Syria, 
Sam has insisted that she thought she was going to Morocco, not to what ISIS called its caliphate. The only reason she ended up anywhere near Syria, she says, was because Musa had bought cheap flights that included a layover in Turkey, which borders Syria. I want to know what she told Matthew's father, Juan. Did you ever hear about Sam starting a new life in Morocco? No. The only trip that I'm aware that was ever out of the country was to, to Paris to visit Musa's dying mother. And, and how do you know about that? That's what Sam told me, that she was taking Matthew to go do. Did she have to seek permission? Uh, yes. And I signed a passport for Matthew. Just because her and I weren't getting along doesn't mean that my son shouldn't be allowed to travel and go see other countries. Juan says that Sam never told him that she wanted to take their son to live in Morocco. So what did she tell her friends? She said that they were going on a family vacation to visit the parents and get Moses' paperwork all settled so that he could come back home and that they would be home. So yeah, I, she never told me that they were moving there. Cassie says Sam had told her about Morocco, but not that the family were moving there, just that Moses' US visa had expired. So they needed to travel there to sort it out. And when I talked to Andrea, someone who described Sam as an amazing, dear, incredible friend, I get another story altogether. She didn't say anything to me about going to Morocco um, or that they had plans to go to Morocco. Did she ever tell you she was going to leave America? She mentioned that her and Musa and the kids were going to Hong Kong for what she said was a business opportunity. So they were going to Hong Kong, but they weren't going to Morocco. She never mentioned going to Morocco to me. Your video visit is about to begin. This video call may be monitored and recorded. It may be shared with law enforcement. And maybe- As I understand it, you were basically thinking that you were emigrating to Morocco. The problem I've got is that there are a few people who, and maybe they're wrong, or maybe you haven't been completely honest with them. You know, one person thought you were going to Hong Kong. Another person thought you were just going to Morocco for a month. Uh, Somebody else thought you were going to France. And I was just wondering why there might be these inconsistencies in your story. The inconsistencies come from uh, myself myself not really knowing. Um, As far as, like, a uh, time frame, it would... The funny thing is I know each one of these inconsistencies, where they're coming from, and I can give you a reason for each one, but I don't think I can talk about it. Did you ever go to France? France? Yeah. No, I did not go to France. The reason, this France issue is coming from uh, my son's father. Um, So I knew that if I told him I was trying to get the passport to go to Morocco, that he would absolutely say no because he was completely against my husband and my husband's family. So I did lie to him and tell him that I was planning to go to France because I thought he would be more apt to do what I needed him to do, to sign the papers to get the passport. So, but you didn't then go to France? No, I didn't go to France. When did you first become aware that either Musa or Abdul Hadi might want to join ISIS? I can't answer that. Either Sam doesn't want to answer, or her lawyers have advised her not to. 
All our conversations are recorded and can be listened to by law enforcement. Anything she tells me could be used against her. I go for a beer with a contact who has access to details about Sam's case that aren't public. I ask if there is any truth about the trip to Hong Kong. I find out it wasn't just one trip, it was three, all in the months before Sam ended up in Syria. She took thousands and thousands of dollars in cash and gold and stored it in safety deposit boxes there. So my next question is... Why did you travel to Hong Kong? Um, because, uh, suppose... I don't even know if I can answer this, Josh. Why do you worry you can't answer it? Because it's a significant part of the case, um, that I'm working on right now. Uh, it was supposed to be a tax evasion. My husband said he had done some research... And he was convinced that if we took assets and cash into Morocco from America, that it would be confiscated. Okay. Did it not seem odd to you, though? I mean, you can take the cash straight to Morocco. You could bank transfer it. You could maybe send it to one of the family members, like Musa's father. Right. Um, This is the part I can't really get into, but I understand what you're saying. The simple fact is, is that he was very paranoid. And if you looked at anything that he ever did in his past, you would always find strange irregular irregularities that he would go through because of his paranoia. So this is something I was completely accustomed to. It was something I tried to talk him out of, but he was insistent. Um, and what exactly was that cash for? For buying a house in Morocco. Eventually, I get hold of court documents, and I can see that the FBI says Sam told one of their agents she was travelling to Morocco for three months for knee surgery. It was going to be performed by her father-in-law, but Musa's dad is not a doctor. He's actually an engineer, and Sam didn't go to Morocco. This is what got Sam arrested in the first place, for lying to an FBI agent. The documents also publicly reveal more detail about her trips to Hong Kong, and they confirm what my contact told me about Sam transporting cash and gold. It was $30,000 worth. They also say that on her final trip on the 22nd of March 2015, she flew with Musa, Matthew and his younger sister. A few days later, they were scheduled to fly home, but they never boarded the flight. In Hong Kong, prosecutors say Sam collected tactical gear. This included a rifle scope, and not just any scope, the tactical CQB combo rifle scope with green laser and mini red dot. Not exactly something you need for knee surgery or for starting a new life in Morocco. They also say that Sam picked up image-stabilised binoculars. You can see Matthew holding a similar pair in the ISIS propaganda video where he was forced to threaten President Trump. My name is Yusuf and I'm 10 years old. Two years ago, I Mihajar from America, the land of Kufr, to the Islamic State. Musa's brother, Abdul Hadi, joined the family in Hong Kong. And then they all flew on to Turkey, 
where Sam says she was tricked across the border into Syria. But around this time, Sam's friend Cassie was still receiving Facebook messages from Sam's account. I've got a copy of these messages. On the 13th of April 2015, when Sam and the children would have been about to cross into Syria, or would have already been there, Cassie sent a message to Sam asking, How's Morocco? Better than your last visit? Then Sam, or someone using her account, replied, Yes, much better. We're relaxing and having a good time here. There, I, so I've seen Facebook messages between you and Cassie around April 13th, 2015. You're telling her that you're in Morocco. But as far as I'm aware, you never made it to Morocco. Why is that? So you, you you do think you were in Syria by April 13th, 14th? At first, I think the video screen is frozen. But then I realise Sam is just lost for words. Okay. So you do, did you write those messages? I don't know because I don't know. Um, I would have to go back through and look at it. I don't know. So far, Sam has had an explanation for everything I've put to her. This is the first time I've seen her genuinely stuck for an answer. Do you think there's anything you should be held accountable for, that you should face charges for? Um, that's a difficult question because I blame myself for everything. I blame myself for literally everything. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, I, I have an extremely guilty feeling, you know, about everything that my kids have been through. Um, but I will tell you, everybody makes stupid mistakes and, um, I made bad decisions all of my life up until this point, um, up until this very day, every day I make bad decisions and I don't believe anything is worth what I've been through. Did you did you make a decision to go to ISIS though, Sam? Uh, I can't really answer that because it has to do with the case. Um, I made the decision, I made the decision to <laughs> Visitation has ended. Trying, trying. No, it won't let me do it. Great. Nothing in Sam's story is simple. The more I look into what she says about leaving America, the less it makes sense. She's misled or lied to the FBI, to Matthew's father, even her best friends. So maybe she's been lying to me about what happened to her in Syria. Did she really try to escape? Was she really imprisoned and tortured? Or could this all be part of another story designed to disguise the fact that Sam was an ISIS supporter all along? 
The only way to find out is to go back to Syria, this time to the city ISIS called its capital, Raqqa, where Sam and the children lived. Did you ever hear about a woman called Um Yusuf? I'm going to walk down this way. If you look on the walls, people were torturing here, and there's two bloody hand marks where somebody's put their hand on the wall and slid down. Smears. Yeah, smears of blood. And it turns out there's much more to Sam's story. So, what does he know about Samantha? Can you ask him to tell me what he's told you? Can I ask? Was Samantha ISIS? Did she want to be here with ISIS? You've been listening to I'm Not a Monster. It's a co-production between the BBC and Frontline PBS. The next episode will be available on Monday. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a rating and review. If you haven't, please do. It really helps other people find the show. And if you want to get in touch directly, email notamonster at bbc.com. This series is written by me, Josh Baker, and Joe Kent. We produced it together with Max Green. Lucy Sullivan is our production assistant. The composer is Sam Slater, and it was mixed by Tom Brignall, and the editor is Emma Rippon. The commissioning executive for BBC Sounds is Dylan Haskins, and the commissioning editor is Jason Phipps. Story supervision for Frontline by Jay Allison. We've made a film as well as a podcast, and if you're in the UK, you can watch Return from ISIS on BBC iPlayer. In the US, you can watch at frontline.org. There's a huge team behind the project. At BBC Panorama, Karen Whiteman is the editor. At Frontline PBS, Rainey Aronson is the executive producer. Andrew Metz is managing editor. Dan Edge is senior producer. Sarah Childress and Lauren Azell are senior editors. Catherine Grywert is the editorial coordinating producer. An additional production by James Edwards. And if you want to listen to more investigations, check out the Frontline Dispatch podcast. And you can subscribe to I'm Not a Monster on the free BBC Sounds app. While you're there, you might also like this. True crime on BBC Sounds. When he was 23, he met Carla at a pet convention. All accounts of the story, it was love at first sight. The problem is that things got out of hand. They were just not what you expect serial killers to look like. Why do people do bad things? This is a podcast where we explore people we consider to be the worst around, looking at their crimes and the psychology behind them. What is the line between thought and action? Bad people. Listen now on BBC Sounds. With no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts and an app that lets you bank anytime, anywhere, choosing Capital One is like the easiest decision in the history of decisions. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC.